Hi, welcome back to the Times and Places podcast with me, Caitlin Bryant. Each week, I sit down with a different guest to discuss how particular times and places has meant something of significance to them or has impacted their life in some way. Today's episode is with the wonderful woman that is Dr. Rona Iskander. Rona is an award-winning dentist and has perfected the smiles of some of the most famous faces around, from Rita Ora to Sporty Spice herself, Mel C. Rona is a hugely successful businesswoman who owns one of the most prestigious dental practices in the UK, as well as the co-founder of the Toothpaste Tabs brand, Parlour. Not only this, she's also created an incredible community and following on her social media channels. In this episode, we discuss the journey that Rona has been on to achieve all that she has at such a young age, the highs and lows of being a woman in the public eye, as well as her struggles with her identity and not feeling like she fit in growing up in London being of Lebanese and Egyptian heritage. We also talk about how she tries to deal with her own mental health in the modern day and the societal pressures put on women today. So here it is, episode six of the Times and Places podcast with Rona Iskander. Hello. Hi, lovely. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm not feeling 100%, but I'm looking at your teeth and I'm like, they look amazing. <laughs> Honestly, Rona, you would not even believe the amount of people that literally stop me in the street and go, oh my gosh, your teeth are insane. They honestly, oh, really? yes. like, it happened the oh. other day. I was just on the platform waiting for a train and someone just, I like, they asked me a question. I just answered it and they were like, oh my gosh, your teeth. And then I like gave my, oh my spiel. God, that's so cute. Oh, thank you so much. I'm sure most people would not think that my dentist would be the obvious choice to have as a guest. But I remember walking in for my very first appointment with you and I was just totally blindsided by how kind and warm and friendly you were. And although the reason I went to you in the first place was because of your incredible talent as a dentist and your capabilities, it was your personality and aura that truly resonated with me. And I remember leaving that day just sort of feeling so warm inside because of your energy. And as someone who's always been pretty scared of the dentist, I never thought I would see the day where I would not only be leaving and entering the dentist with such a huge smile on my face. But what I want to know is what was your journey into dentistry? So first of all, thank you so much. I am... I actually really overwhelmed at the comments that you've made because I think it's always been my mission and my journey. Whenever people ask me why I went into dentistry, I do come from a medical background, but really first and foremost, the most important thing for me is helping someone's life in some way. You know, when we think about people and people that we admire, we wanna hear people's stories. It's always about making a difference and having a life that's got meaning, right? It's not just about, success it's just about having purpose every single day so for you to say that I had an impact and showed my persona that means so much to me and I think in the dental sphere it's definitely been controversial because showing your personality or showing that person behind the lab coat and behind the mask is actually not something that many medical professionals have done and I've definitely like gone against the grain and (laughs) thought you know this is exactly what I'm going to do so I really really appreciate those comments and you know thank you so much for having me what was the question you even asked me Kate (laughs) (laughs) so just how did you get into dentistry and was it something that you always wanted to do well so my aunt was actually a dentist and I remember at 12 years old I went to go visit her in her dental practice and I absolutely loved what she was doing I really loved the relationship she built with patients I definitely think in America it's different with dentistry they love dentists they grow up with it there's you know the whole notion of the Hollywood smile and so forth my father on the other hand was a doctor grafting on the NHS um I really saw the negative sides of medicine if I'm honest with you and I don't know if you've read the book this is gonna hurt yeah and I because I recently as well watched it and reading the book was one thing but then seeing it 
being played out was even more harrowing in a way. Yeah, yeah. I found it really difficult to watch. Yeah, and I think that I grew up around that. So I saw my father really going through that turmoil and that heartache. And, you know, they like there's this one bit I remember that he said, like, Dante's hell like looks nothing compared to what you go through in medicine. And I think that was really true. And definitely even in dentistry, when I was working in the hospitals and doing all the graft and grind it was similar to that but for me medicine just seemed so it was so prescriptive in the sense that I found that if you become a GP for example a lot of your day unless you do a little bit of extra surgical training is interacting with patients but a lot of it is like prescriptions and over a desk and so forth and I think the thing that appeals to me with dentistry was it was so hands-on and I love the fact that ultimately you're a surgeon right so every single day you're doing something in somebody's mouth that requires precision and you know using tools and so forth and also like building that relationship so I think for me it's always appealed to me to be in medical care um, but what's interesting, which I'm sure we're going to go on and further, is that I was actually really good at drama, surprise, surprise, <laughs> and um, English literature. And for me, I had this dichotomy inside me because on the one hand, all my teachers were like, oh, Rona, you have, you know, you've got to go to do English. And, you know, I, I was really good at English literature. So I did that for A-level and then I wanted to be a dentist. And I was like, oh, what do I do? And I'm glad I chose dentistry, but I think that social media has given me a platform to allow that whole creative artistic side of me to come out because you are able to show your personality on social media so I almost show that dramatic non-conventional side of me and marry it to the scientific side yeah because also what I would say is I feel like now in the past few years there's been like a real boom in people not pigeonholing themselves and being like you know I don't have to choose one lane I don't have to stick to it but when you started putting yourself out there on social media that really was kind of the beginning of it. So you were really setting yourself up to be criticized, I would have thought, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, woo, the social media thing. I mean, my journey, I guess, I guess, you know, your audience are from non-dentists. Like the dentists always find my story quite fascinating because what happened was is that I actually um I barely got into dental school. So I had, you know, I, I went in, I got all the A-levels, I got my A-stars, worked really hard. And I went for this interview at Bristol. So in dental school, you can only apply to four dental schools. You also have to prepare um, for an interview. So only four and you get an interview. And I got two interviews, I got Bristol and Leeds. And I went to Bristol, which was my first choice. And I went like all glam, you know, the way that I usually am. And everyone else was so conventional in the dental school. And in the dental interview, I just was myself, but I could almost feel that I was being judged. They asked me some really bizarre questions. And that was the year that Bristol, I'm a bit older than you, Caitlin, but that year Bristol were being criticised for only taking on people from public school, private school. And um, they wanted to create some kind of fairness in the system. But I didn't feel that it was fair. They asked me questions like, where did you go on, where do you go on holiday and things like that, like completely non-related. And I got rejected and I think it was one of the most painful rejections that I'd ever had. And, you know, ironically, I went to my Leeds interview and I went completely plain, no makeup, tied my hair back, plain black suit. My mum was like, just do that. Talk about just medicine or whatever. And I got the place at Leeds, but I was not to myself at that interview, you know, so I'd almost had to fake who I really was just to get into dentistry. Now, dental school for me, I never fitted in. I was the misfit. The dentist didn't like me. I never did all that like dent sock, med sock type thing. I wanted to integrate with other people at university. I found people that studied history of art and English literature fascinating. I didn't want to be confined to this like little box. And actually that, that, that did me so well later on, but what happened was is that it was a series of rejections throughout dental school because then we had to apply for our jobs and you do your NHS placement and what had happened was is that I did all my applications and again I barely got into dental school uh, sorry my first dental job and it was so hard and uh, you know I just like, what is wrong with me why aren't people giving me a chance and it was so hard and how you know when you're younger it's just yeah. so harder 
Anyways, fast forward, I ended up working in a little village in Kent and it was a cute little dental practice. It was more sort of drill, fill, pay the bill sort of dentistry. But I started investing all my time and money in courses and I'd lived with another dentist that had more opportunity to do cosmetic dentistry. And for me, I realized that cosmetic dentistry is what really changed people's lives. So when I went on the courses, I was fascinated because I recognized that these teeth the mouth is attached to a human being and when you see the bigger picture and realize their stories that you know their teeth weren't giving them to confidence to go for job interviews or confidence to date or confidence to lose weight or confidence to be out in public or you know whatever it is and then you realize that actually if you change their teeth you can change the way that they feel about themselves that was so powerful for me and it was a no-brainer it was well, you know what, you absolutely have got to do this. And so I invested all this time and money in courses, gone on to try and practice this dentistry in this little village in Kent. And, you know, people had never been offered this sort of treatment. But even if it meant doing one white filling instead of doing a silver filling, you know, I felt, okay, well, I've, I've put something into practice, built up a portfolio and I started CV dropping all over London eventually this place in high street kensington responded to me and they said well we've got somebody going on maternity cover so if you fancy you know coming and covering that i quit my job in kent went to this practice in high street kensington my boss at the time was trying to sell his practice in chelsea and he said it's i mean i'm basically going bankrupt you know kensington is funding chelsea because kensington had a huge nhs contract that was funded by the government and then he said I just want to try and sell Chelsea. And I said, no, 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 you need to come and let me see if I can work there. He's like, why would you want to work at a practice with zero patients? I was like, you know what? I just want to see if I can make it work. So then what happened was, is that I created the practice that I did through two things. That was one Instagram and two Invisalign. So I was really passionate about Invisalign as a product to offer my patients. And that's because it was such a user-friendly product that was so directed towards consumers more than just dentists and I just thought you know we've got to be thinking about the consumer all the time the patient it's so important anyway with Instagram it was in 2015-16 when I really got into it and I was quite fascinated by it because I just saw these normal people showcasing their lives so I thought why can't dentists showcase their results so I started putting myself out there, but yeah, you're right. Dentists were like, what on earth is she doing? What on earth can you do? You know, dentistry is just, is just, you know, like why would anyone care about like a, a crown preparation or bonding? Mm. And then patients, like they were becoming empowered in their knowledge because they were like, oh, what's bonding? What's yeah. this? I'd never heard of it until I came across your Instagram account. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, I and this is the thing I think people didn't understand that it was an education tool. Like right now, it's a very oversaturated platform, and we know that. But I think back then, you know, and it was already still in I would say the embryonic stages because it was only five years old, which I still think was quite young. So, for me, it really changed the game. And yeah, it was controversial, but it definitely changed my life. Yeah, and I know that you mentioned there that your dad about your dad and also your mum, but. How have they influenced you and who you've become and, and the person that you are today? Oh, I love my parents. I mean, I think I'm really lucky and really rare. In some ways, it's been a blessing and it's been a curse because I grew up in a very secure household with parents that still really love each other. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realise how in a way that was such an anomaly because then people around me talked about you know parents being divorced or broken homes or parents didn't get on with each other and I was like wow this is crazy but that set some really high standards for like relationships and things because I thought all men were like my dad like really good really kind loved to like look after like family my dad's great in general with women because he's like got two daughters five sisters he's a gynecologist like he's surrounded by a lot of like femininity <laughs> I thought like men were like that and I was like wait hang on a second like this is actually not the norm you know mm. um you know so there are some great guys but I think it created unrealistic expectations and seeing the kind of relationship that my parents had but my father essentially was an immigrant so he left Egypt um back in the 70s and he left when he was 21 because he wanted to come and study medicine Egypt was a really difficult time he is um a Christian so it was a really difficult time for Christian Egyptians because they were essentially sort of forced to leave and pushed out um under the new um 
government and everything like that. So my father decided to leave and come to the UK and basically came to the UK with nothing but £10 in his pocket and put himself through medical school by working at Spaghetti House. And, yeah, and so he's worked really, really hard. And my mum is Lebanese. She, you know, came from a fairly normal family and she uh, always put a great, great emphasis on education. And I, my parents met abroad. So they met in Saudi Arabia when they were both kind of like on this sort of like placement I want to say so you know when people get offered jobs yeah Dubai and stuff like yeah that. yeah yeah so she did that and then what she did was is that they met in a hospital and it was pretty much love at first sight they'd only dated for six months and then they were like married and they've been together like ever since it's kind of crazy I know That's it's crazy like, how uh, old were they uh they my mum was 27 and my dad was 38 and the thing is is that my dad he um he was so funny because he says to me like he's got like a really strong Egyptian accent. He goes, <laughs> Rona, there was no Tinder. I couldn't focus. There were so many women. And so he was 38 and he was going to put an advert out in the yellow pages describing his perfect woman as a secretary that he was looking for. So that he was like, this was my Tinder. I was like, okay, well. Um, so. That's brilliant. Yeah. And when my parents met, my father decided that he didn't want us to go in the Middle East. So he was quite passionate about that. And I think he really recognized like particularly the oppression of women. And he was like, no, 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 I don't want my daughters. I want to go back to London. When they went back to London, my parents pretty much had to start from scratch. My dad then suffered a lot of racism under the NHS. My my mum's qualifications weren't valid in the UK. She went to university in America. It was nutrition. It was quite complicated to then get it like validated here. And basically they had to start from scratch and we, we didn't have money when we came back to the UK. So my dad, he tried to get back into the NHS. It took a really long time. So we were always on a tight budget. And then he was essentially supporting the three of us. And that was all fine and great. But we were growing up in London, in North London. Um, at the time, the area that we grew up in wasn't great. Um, so basically my mum just started working in retail to make ends meet. And I think that I just saw my parents grafting my whole life. So for me, it wasn't an option. It was such an honor to have education and I wasn't smart. But anyways, the point is, is that my parents, they've never said to me, you have to do this, you have to do that. But I just saw them always working hard. I think that was always instilled in me. And I think that's where my drive comes from. That's a big part of it. Yeah. And because obviously your parents are two different nationalities and you were raised in London, have you ever struggled with like your identity? Oh my God, I still struggle. Yeah, it's such an interesting one because when I first came to the UK, I was, I went to a multicultural school. So my school was full of, you know, ethnic minorities, you know, Chinese, Arabs, you know, all the rest of it. However, I went to university in Leeds, as I said, and I went to the Harry Potter halls, which was women that went to private boarding schools that were white, blondes, um, you know, definitely fitted a certain stereotype. And then I, I realized I was like this enigma to them, not in not in a bad way. I mean, they included me in everything, but it was more like, oh, you're so exotic. You're so this. And to be honest, like looking back, I think it was subtle aggression. Like, you know, like, and I only know that now based on the education and the conversations that we're having, but you know, things like, oh, you've got such exotic eyes. You look like a peacock. Do you know what I mean? I was like, what the hell does that even mean? Yeah. You know? So, so like things like that. And then it was really difficult because I started to try and change to fit in. And I was really embarrassed because my parents lived in this small home. Um, you know, at this point, my parents were doing well in life, but they would still lived in their like small home in London. And these girls that like, lived in like massive country estates and, you know, they would come to my home and judge it. You know, there was, there was real difficulty. And I would like, I was desperately trying to fit in. And because I was considered to be a little bit more of an outsider because I didn't get that world. Um, but you know, as I said, you know, these things do shape you. So I think that I really, really tried hard to be English, if I'm completely honest. And I'm not saying British, I'm saying English, you know, I wanted that. And I even started struggled a lot with the way that I look. Like right now, people love Kim Kardashian and you know, Huda Beauty and whoever it is. And you know, my my look is, you know, more acceptable and considered like within beauty standards. But you know, back then there weren't even like foundation tones for like, you know skin color 
so it was really difficult and you know people would make comments about my thick eyebrows and you know like I found it really hard because I just wasn't part of that now on the other hand because I've been British educated and I was like really knowledgeable and I speak so you know I speak well-spoken English I also didn't fit in with the Arabs in the Middle East. I was stuck, you know, between a rock and a hard place where I was like, I'm not English enough for the English and I'm not Arab enough for the Arabs because, you know, I, I speak like really broken Arabic. I can't read or write it. I haven't conformed in many ways to like the way that they live life, but also I'm not completely English. So I think I've always had like a bit of an identity crisis in that sense. Um, however, uh, I think that as I grew up, I was like, I'm so proud of my Middle Eastern heritage. I'm so proud of like the things that my parents have achieved. I'm so like proud of, you know, all the things that have happened uh, of my heritage. And actually now I am like, I'm going to send my kids to, to learn Arabic when they're older. And, you know, I, I love to go to Lebanon. And when I reached my like late twenties, I was like, oh my God, now I want to marry a Middle Eastern. Now I want to marry... <laughs> So it kind of like did a, like a complete flip reverse in my life. So I think there's always been that like push pull within like the different cultures. Yeah, it's really interesting because I was talking to one of my friends recently and he's um, his dad is Irish and his mum is Jamaican. And he's like, I really struggle just like trying to find who I am and my identity. But yeah, back on to times and places. I often think that when I reflect on sort of the moments in my life where maybe I've not been as happy or been in a great environment, I've noticed that they've actually been sort of crucial in the making of who I am and the person that I've been today. Has there been any time in your life where you've been in a situation or a period of time in your life where it's been hard or difficult, but in retrospect, the experience that you went through sort of made you the person that you are today? Yeah, so funny. I had a little bit. So I recently had my 35th birthday and I was in um, Mexico and I um, was had a little bit of, of a like sort of teary conversation with one of my best friends. We were walking down the beach and I said, life has just never given me anything easy. And I, I'm not saying that in the way like my life is so much better and so much more privileged than so many people. And I appreciate mm. every aspect of it. But I've had to graft. I feel like I've been grafting my whole life. You know, you're like, wouldn't it be nice just have a one day, yeah, one day just <laughs> however if I didn't have all of that rejection you know from when I was younger from teachers telling my parents that there were no there was no hope because I wasn't smart enough and the only thing that I might be good at is drama you know if, if those comments hadn't hurt me it wouldn't have pushed me to prove them wrong in a way yeah. and then if I didn't get rejected from all those people in my um you know vocational training year I wouldn't have pushed myself to build my own business and my own brand you know and if I hadn't experienced, like I definitely think, and like right now I'm going through really transitional period, like being a business owner who just completed on buying in the middle of the pandemic, like I'm dealing with people and teams and HR and it's like all different for me. And it's quite a scary place to be in. But I keep thinking to myself, pain is growth, pain is growth, pain is growth. You know what I mean? It has to get really bad before it gets really good. And that, that, that for me, I think is really, really important. And I, I think there's just there's different things that like I hate being in a state of pain and fear anxiety but also I know it's really important and I always take it as an opportunity for growth and meeting new people and getting rid of toxic energy so for me I think there's always going to be something I just think life cannot always be a constant of highs and that's why on my social media I always try and show the authenticity behind the success the pain the graph the tears and so forth and I think that I haven't got it all figured out but for me one of the most important things is is that you surround yourself by people that really have had experiences similar to you but you've got an opportunity to learn from them and because you hear people's stories and their pearls of wisdom and you're like oh I feel that I've been going through that this really resonates this is going to be okay yeah and I do think it's something that I've gotten better at is talking probably because for me personally I recently it got to a point where I would go in this perpetual cycle of I would get really down and low and I would my my mechanism has always been you know push it down push it down it's going to be okay we'll just problem solve and then I just get to a point where I'll just have like a breakdown and mm -hmm. like I can't do it anymore and then I finally it was back in the summer and I was like I need to change this cycle in a way and I'm finally ready to get therapy mm -hmm. and 
it honestly has changed my life just being able to have that outlet to speak to someone speaking with your friends and family is like amazing but just that like third party that doesn't know you and can give you that sounding board it really has just been like life-changing but outside of therapy what it's given me is speaking to people and also being like oh I'm not the only one that feels like that and you feel like that too and like we can all support each other I'm here to listen Mm -hmm. if you ever want to talk but also knowing that other people are there to listen to yeah yeah yeah. I agree but what I just I find it so crazy that how new that notion is in society so therapy I mean look like I think that I've been dabbling I mean going to therapy on and off for the last sort of 10 gosh 10 years or so and I'm a massive advocate of mental health as you know but I think that there's so many other things I think conversation I think that we still have a long way to go to society like even when I'm like oh I've had a bad day the people that reach out and something like oh you're really worrying me and I'm like you know what like just because I'm saying I'm going through a tough time like yes I want you to reach out but you you're talking to me as if I need to be um I need like help as in like I need to be like like hospitalized or something like that and I'm like you know for some people they maybe do need to be or maybe like but I'm like if we normalize mental health people don't need to jump to this thing like she's really troubled or he's really troubled think you know if we normalize it we can recognize that like 99% of people have anxiety 99% go through bouts of depression 99% of people have like turmoil and turbulent thoughts and if we can you know support each other in a different way I think it's really really important but you're absolutely right I think the conversations um I think the conversations have opened up but will continue to change in the next sort of five to ten years and I think also the understanding of other means to help support us so that the thing is is that I think that like com- like understanding more about things like breath work and yoga and plant-based and all this stuff like these things were once considered to be just hippie notions right they were like but now we're like no 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 this is not a hippie notion this is protecting mental health taking time out to meditate doesn't mean that you have to sit there and be a buddha and be like om like that it actually means that you're sitting in being present for a few minutes of your day and that's actually good for you so I think these conversations are opening up more and more and being normalized as being integral and part of society not just like if you want to go and sort of live in the Himalayas with a bunch of hippies you know yeah no I totally agree and also I'm just like a real little hippie at heart and have always been <laughs> me too I went to blue babe I know yeah <laughs> yeah I'm literally like some days I'm like I can just give it all up and go live on a beach but you know yeah <laughs> I was watching um, one of your YouTube videos and you were talking. I'm so happy because my YouTube is such a flop. So everyone that listens to Caitlin's podcast, follow and subscribe, okay? Because I am like, I have not nailed the whole YouTube thing, but I'm just posting videos in the hope that one day someone will like, like and appreciate something. Yeah, oh, I was loving them. Um, But one of the ones that really, really resonated with me was when you found like an old diary from eight years ago. I couldn't believe it because... It was just like, and you would, you were kind of going through different things. And one of the things that you'd written in there was your dream. So this is eight years ago now. And you'd said that your dream was to own an exclusive dental practice that was running really well. And you had opportunities for other business ventures. And it's, it's, it must've been mad to read that back and be like, oh my gosh, I'm achieving. I, I have achieved my dreams, but did you kind of have a vision and a plan of, how you would achieve that how different or similar has the sort of ups and downs been in the journey to getting to where you are as to what you maybe thought it was going to be like so I think that that's an interesting thing about the notion of manifesting right and for me manifesting is I'm actually really torn about manifestation because I think it's actually a seriously privileged thing to do because if we think about it someone in Africa that's living in extreme poverty conditions I'm sure they cannot manifest themselves out of that situation in reality right in reality so I think for us to say like you just manifest the life that you want and you know there's been a lot of conversation recently as you know in media about people in the public eye saying things that I believe were I want to say the right words that I, I believe were really sort of like ill thought and and because, because um 
because I think that, you know, it was like, well, my love, you can all say that, you know, it's all about manifesting and grafting because, you know, you've been given X, Y, and Z as your prerequisite before you've actually manifested. So I think it's, it's a really important. Now, having said that, most of us in this new age world who have what we call fairly privileged lives, and I know it's all an individual basis based on different things like, you know, color, age, disability, et cetera. But like, let's assume the average person that have things that are fairly on their side you can use the power of the mind I think to create the reality that you want but what I mean by that is for example you can't just sit here I can't sit here and be like I'm going to manifest a red Ferrari and it's going to be like outside my door in a week but the idea is is that you think about something so for me I had wrote written down what I wanted so I wanted to practice in Chelsea I wanted to do small makeovers I wanted to be win best young dentist I wrote down all these things really specifically wanted to live in Notting Hill etc 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 and I think on a subconscious level I worked towards that so I knew that I had specific goals in mind I didn't write down how I was going to get there I just knew I wanted those things so I think that for example with the best young dentist um, award I was like I know that I need X, Y, and Z. So of course I put those things in place. With Chelsea, I just grafted really hard and created such a big patient list that I just thought I'm going to approach my boss one day and ask him if I can buy the practice off him, you know, but I had to make it busy enough. So I didn't physically write down every single detail. I'm not a very detail orientated person. I'm a very big picture sort of person. Some people are very detail orientated. And I think when they're manifesting or doing their visions or their journaling or whatever, but I'm very much about like the end picture. So I think... <clears throat> that has risks and benefits, but I, it has been a tough journey the whole time, like, you know, and I think the problem is with this new world that we're living in is that you achieve something and then you're like, okay, cool, done, next, next, yeah. next, you know? So, so yeah, so for me, it's just, it's been interesting to see, to, to see my journey. I think really seeing the journal, which everyone can watch on YouTube, um, <laughs> but really seeing the journal was like, wow, I can't believe I wrote this down and everything came true. It kind of gave me goosebumps watching it. Cause it is just that thing of like, you know, if you do have a dream and you have that drive and that belief, you really can achieve them. But yeah, talking about business ventures, obviously your most recent one is Parlour, which it reading about it and learning about it, it really is quite revolutionary. Like it's a real trailblazer in sort of the dental care market across all boards. You know, everyone wants to be like clean beauty and what you're putting inside of you is so important. Just all from all of it, from like the packaging, the whole thing, it really is just so revolutionary. You can probably explain it better than I can. But yeah, please tell us a bit more about Parlour. So Parlour is a toothpaste tablet. About two years ago, I was approached by one of my now business partners and we were always being confronted by big conglomerate toothpaste companies to be the face of and promote their brands. And we just thought, Okay, and then we got approached by a company as well that talked to us, talked to us a little bit about a toothpaste that was recyclable. But then we realized they were greenwashing in a way. So greenwashing means that they kind of convey that they're doing something good for the environment, but when you break it down, it's you know not that much better or just a little bit better. And we also looked into the ingredients in toothpaste and realized there were lots of like unethically sourced ingredients lots of toothpastes and vegan etc so we decided to come together and meanwhile the third business partner had approached me about another product like product development so I brought the three of us together and we had discussed creating a toothpaste tablet and toothpaste tablets have actually been around for a really long time they just haven't really been around in the UK but essentially it's a dehydrated toothpaste it's exactly the same as toothpaste but it comes in tablet form it's sold in reusable glass jars and actually toothpaste tubes take 500 years to decompose I know even like 20, 20 billion toothpaste tubes go into the landfill every single year. So obviously all of the ingredients ethically sourced, they are vegan, you know, they're sustainable. They also have properties like stain removal. And we've even gone a step further. So with Parlor Pro, we recognize that we're living very much in an ingredient led world. Mm. So we incorporated something called hydroxyapatite. Think of it as like the retinols and skin oh, for the teeth. Fab. And it, forms <laughs> the, um, it forms the building blocks of enamel and it also blocks the pores of the enamel when it's used and 
this gives the teeth incredible gloss and shine as well as removing you know we've got the other ingredients to remove the staining on top of that it's got vitamin e and vitamin b12 so when you brush your teeth you're getting your vitamins and the mode of transport for the mouth just like the sublingual sprays is actually a lot better than the ones in um then when you kind of like go through the digestive tract where you just take a tablet and then just wait for it to be done gosh that's genius mm. and lots of vegans are vitamin b12 deficient actually so you know that will really help the vegan the the vitamin b12 intake so it's quite exciting to see how it grows because I mean, even just re- like, even in, because when did you find, when was it that you founded Parlour? So in March 2020, we launched, and obviously, as you know, we were on Dragon's Den as well. We got asked to be on there like um, two days, two days, two months later. But also we are now stocked in Sainsbury's and in Boots. So it's really easy to get, you know, you can get us online, but definitely if you're just doing like supermarket shop, Sainsbury's is the one. Give it a go. That's amazing. I love that. And just to add another thing to what you do, you run your own dental practice. You have just in itself running a social media account, the scale that you have on Instagram is for most people, a full-time job. And now you're a business owner with Parlour. How do you juggle everything? Because you are so multifaceted and I actually don't know how you do it. You know what? Like I I am suffering from burnout. My body is responding that well and I think it's really important because health is wealth but for me I think I'm not that much of a micromanager and I'm not that detail orientated so when it comes to things like with YouTube like my videos probably aren't perfect but I'm just like volume is really important just just brush it out if I sat there scrutinizing every bit of the edit I would spend hours on it but I do a lot of outsourcing as well so like I'll outsource my editing I do one content day a month and then, you know, when I, then I know that I've just got stuff to post with the clinic as well. I've got right team members to help run the clinic. So I think it's about like letting go of control in a way, which is where people tend to go wrong. And especially if you're a micromanager character, you want control over every aspect and every detail. And it takes a lot longer for stuff to be done. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably a really good tip for like all business owners anyway, because I feel like micromanagement is, I can understand why people want to micromanage, but I do think that it's just not the best the best yeah. course of action to do but I wanted to touch on some more personal topics because you are extremely open and candid on your social media about things that you go through personally and something that I wanted to talk about was fertility because I feel as a woman that as soon as you kind of get into your late 20s and early 30s you kind of have in the background this sort of fear of being like oh my gosh my biological clock is ticking and you're sort of conscious of your fertility and especially if you are a single woman but has there been times in your life where it's been something that you have been concerned about or it's kind of consumed you oh my god of course of course so I mean look my father's a gynecologist since like (laughs) since I was like 20 he was like right just like it's crack on before you're 30 it's really important because your fertility grows down then I told my parents to stop putting pressure, but I like, I felt incredibly stressed because I actually had a long-term boyfriend, my first boyfriend, my first love from when I was 21 till I was 27. And like, I thought we were going to get married and, you know, I was incredibly inexperienced in general when it came to love. And I just thought, well, this is it. This is the one. And uh, he broke up with me at 27. And I literally went into the mode that was like, I've got three years to find a husband and have a child. And the thing is, but honestly, it gets into the most toxic situations because then you end up putting up with crap. You end up going for the wrong guys because you're just like, right, I just need to find someone. And I ended up in really toxic, narcissistic situations with the wrong people. And then I got to 30 and it was bad. My 30th year was bad because I was so depressed. Because I was like, how can I be single? What's going on? I, just come out of a toxic relationship and I just didn't enjoy my youth I just didn't enjoy like having fun and the truth is is that like time doesn't run out um yes we do have the biological clock but then I got to 31 and then 32 and I was like okay like life actually gets better your confidence as a woman actually grows and if you still look 25 which Which you do (laughs) um, then then you know what like who cares but then my dad just said to me he stopped putting pressure on because I think my parents realized how I got myself into bad situations and my dad said why don't you just freeze your eggs you know like he he my father's a partner at the fertility academy so I decided to do it last in 2020 December 2020 
froze my eggs, got 19 Monas in the freezer. So all great. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I've been with my partner since I was 33. So my partner who I'm with now, who's amazing and wonderful and not on social media, so I don't even try and stalk. Um, <laughs> And you know what, like he supported me through it all. And they're just more there as like a safety insurance. And I think again, like why not have the conversation? Like I might not need to use the eggs, but if we, if I can't get pregnant easily, then they're there. Do you yeah. see what I mean? So I just feel like what's like, you know, we all get insurance on our phone in case it breaks. Your iPhone might not break, but it might break. And if you've got it, cool. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think just women have it so much harder sometimes, don't we? (laughs) I just wouldn't understand. But on that topic, though, you you are such like a you you are still so young, and you're beautiful and confident and so intelligent in a very sort of male dominated industry. Have you ever felt that you've been treated differently, and maybe not necessarily professionally, but even? any other aspect of your life because you are a female oh I have to tread carefully when I when I talk about this and I actually want you to talk uh, listen to um the YouTube that I did on um uh empowering women uh, one of my incredible incredible parlor ambassadors Jade who is my little protege we did a little YouTube and she asked me the same question and I actually discussed the importance of male allies because we, you said to me, like, you could be a target on social media. Who are the ones that troll me on social media? Other women. Who are the ones that criticize me and bitch behind my back? Women that don't know me. It is very rare or it never really happens. I'm not saying it never happens. That's a lie. Because obviously it has happened before with men. But the proportion of women that I have been criticized by has been astronomical. In my dental clinic, all the dentists that work for me are male. Um, and I've got a couple of females that are my hygiene and my therapist. And then I've got my kind of like other stuff. But all my dentists are males. Um, my business partner's a mess. I have a really good relationship with men in general. And it might be because I have a lot of masculine energy. So I just get on with them really well. But I've never really felt, and I know that this again is anomaly because we know how difficult it's been for women over time. And I know, you know, with things that have been going on, but in general, my relationship within the dental arena has been really good with men. I also have incredible relationships with strong females. So females are doing what I'm doing in, whether it's in my industry or another industry, I tend to have a strong bond with them because there's like, they don't get intimidated, you know, like bi-directionally, but other women that don't like what I'm doing, i.e. putting myself out there, tend to give me the most pain and most criticism, sadly to say. Yeah, I think unfortunately, a huge reason for this issue of women being pitted against one another stems from the patriarchy, because for so many generations, women have been made to feel like we have to compete against each other just to be successful. It's such a shame, because we should be the ones that should be supporting supporting each other hopefully that will change yeah fingers crossed that as generations go on things will change but the other thing that I would love to know is is there someone or even a couple of people that really stand out to you that you've maybe met by chance or just through sort of an unusual circumstance that has really sort of changed your life or have come into your life when you sort of really didn't expect it or maybe someone that you wouldn't sort of conventionally have thought would be a friend or someone who'd be important in your life but has enriched your life in some sort of way well this is a funny question because there is somebody that really stands out who I really recommend that you go and listen to his podcast and also um have a look at his journey it's a guy called Daniel Murray Serta so he owns a company called Heights uh but when I met him I was actually 14 and he was a year older than me and he was one of the people that actually I felt that I needed to start working hard my grades weren't so great it was around sort of like GCSE year and he worked really hard for his GCSEs and he did really really well and I remember the celebration that had happened when he had achieved what he did and I was like this is actually quite cool like getting called good grades is cool so Daniel had inspired me anyways fast forward we'd lost touch when I was about 18 years old he went off to uni I went off to uni whatever 
10 years later and even more that 12 years later he messages me and he's and I knew what he'd been up to so he'd had a few startups and his most recent startup is a brain care supplement called heights and he's massively passionate about the brain care space he talks about mental health he has interviewed a lot of people but he has created a supplement with doctors nutritionists etc and the idea is is that it is a supplement that enhances brain care helps your well-being but it doesn't have any of the crap inside it's a bit like what we're doing with parlor but in the supplement wow. space you messaged me i don't know like a couple of years ago just when i started parlor and he goes hi old pal i haven't spoken to you in ages and he was just like um my mum was asking about you because we used to revise together and like hang out together when we were like 14 he's like and he's like i hope you won i was like oh my god so strange i've been watching and he's, oh, he's i back, love stuff like that and he's like back in my life now and he's been such a pivotal mentor so he mentored me for dragon's den he helps us with our contacts you know he's been such an inspirational person like he um he has yeah and like we don't speak regularly or anything like that but him coming back into my life I think was like a like a really like beautiful circle that happened for a reason so he's certainly somebody that um that that springs to mind but I think in healthcare in general you meet people all the time and I'm really lucky to have um to have the clients that I have and some of them become friends and so forth like there's just such a list I can't even think but Daniel definitely stands out as one I love that. Yeah. When it, you know, it just kind of does just feel like you were both meant to like meet each other and know each other, that kind of like fake feeling. I do really love that, which brings me on to my next question, but has there been a moment in your life where it really did seem like fate and sort of the stars aligned and it brought you into the right place at the right time? I think so. I think, you know, for me, I'm going through a little bit of a spiritual journey and I don't think these things happen by coincidence. So I think that I have been forced into uncomfortable situations recently and you're from Wales and I found myself at a retreat with people that I would have never really seen myself with, I think in Wales, doing this retreat, working, doing, doing the work, the inner work as it were. What retreat was that? Um, it's it was just like a very small one run by my friend and it didn't have well not by my friend now friend but it doesn't even have it there's no really sort of name for it but the people that were involved in that space were people that you know have been working in wellness in terms of like doing breath work doing movement classes doing meditation and so forth and I think that having a little bit of I wouldn't say a a breakdown but maybe a breakdown where I was like I can't cope with my life anymore and then finding myself in this little retreat was this is what we're talking about the pain leads to growth mm. so the pain that I experienced led me to that path and the people that I've met and the stuff that I'm learning is opening me up to the spiritual realm and I'm like I'm quite excited to see that journey but also a little bit nervous in a way because I'm like well I have been living this hustle culture, this yes, 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 do, do, do. And now because my body has been breaking down due to burnout and stress and so forth, I'm finding myself forced to sort of like look at the inside and just find myself with these sorts of people in these places that I didn't think I would be in like a little retreat in Wales, you know? <laughs> Literally yeah. sounds like my dream. <laughs> but yeah, because I, whenever I tell people this story, and to be honest, you probably will like roll your eyes because because my dad would be like, oh, for God's sake, here she goes again. But I went through like a really bad mental time, especially in the summer. And I think what I tend to do is I just sort of flee and just cut myself off and like run away. And I went out and just stayed in sort of the middle of nowhere in Spain for like a couple of months because I could like work remotely. And a fr um, my friend's mum had like recommended this book and it was actually by, um, it's called Sunbathing in the Rain. You won't have heard of it because it's actually by a Welsh language poet, but she really like she suffers with depression and she'd written this book and it was basically about depression but the kind of the beauty uh, the beauty that can come with it and all about her life and how it's affected her and the people in her life and it really 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 resonated with me and I remember I was out sunbathing and it was a beautiful clear day in the middle of August and I was finishing up this book, closed the book and I put the book down by the side of me and I just sort of was like lying there and you know you kind of get that feeling of I was like oh gosh like that's really made me feel a certain way 
And then all of a sudden I close the book, put it down by my side. And I just start feeling like these droplets just like falling on me. And I looked up and it was clear blue skies, like boiling hot. And it was the maddest rain because it was like these really heavy droplets. And I was just like, this is crazy. And it lasted two minutes and just completely stopped. Mm. And I was just like, what is going on? And I've told that story to people and they're just like, it's just a coincidence. I'm like, no, there's something in it. Yeah, Um, yeah, no, I believe there's something something in these things. And I think that the more you think about it, on even on a subconscious level, it's yeah it really was just like it but yeah I, and I remember just telling my dad I was like oh for god's sakes my parents you... don't get this thing you know? <laughs> they really don't <laughs> my mum was like what's meditation I'm like mum never mind go back to the box <laughs> you know right Rona I'm gonna wrap it up now because it I've I've had you for too long when you've not even been feeling very well but um I wanted to kind of end on two questions that I always ask every guest because I really feel that food and music provokes like a feeling of nostalgia or a memory, whether it be good or bad. So is there a particular song that transports you back to a specific time or place every time you hear it? Yes, sorry, I get really, because I still listen to it all the time. So the song that really, really takes me back to a certain time, and actually I listen to it all the time and it still makes me cry, even though it's not a particularly sad song, is Counting Crows. And it's a song called Mr. Jones. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I, I like don't, young, but I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it. You're too freaking soon. young. You're too young. That's <laughs> our age class to show. Um, but yeah, it transports me. And it just like, it makes me feel really nostalgic because actually I think that generally I had quite like a happy childhood, not to say that my life isn't happy now, but like I definitely get like a little bit of 90s nostalgia for sure and it takes me back to the 90s in general I know I do love that feeling of nostalgia and then and I'm also gonna have to as soon as this is over I'm gonna have to play that song yeah and then the final question is is there any meal or food that you eat that or love that triggers kind of a memory from a specific time or place so this is also a funny one I and everyone's gonna hate me for saying this especially people that watched The Octopus Teacher, but I absolutely love grilled octopus because it reminds me of going on holiday with my parents and being like in the Mediterranean and eating that. Um, with, but now like my boyfriend's like, I cannot believe you the octopus. <laughs> Did you see The Octopus Teacher? They're basically aliens and you're awful. And I'm like, okay, I'm really sorry. So I try to limit it, but but I, I really, yeah, that's it. Like grilled octopus for me with vegetables, it's so plain, but like it just takes me back to being on holiday with my my parents like when I was younger and my sister I love that I always feel like people's answers are usually like they take it way back to like childhood memories which is just really lovely yeah you um, might have to be like I love cheese stirring and I'm like <laughs> I love it oh Rona that that is it that is all thank you so but, much Caitlin honestly this has been fab and if I couldn't love you anymore I love you I more do. I love you thank you <laughs> bye lots of love bye.